Welcome to the Africa Borderlands Center podcast, a 12-episode podcast series of the Africa Borderlands Center, sharing stories, rich, inspiring stories and experiences of people living in borderland communities across Africa. Today on the show. I was 11 years old when I witnessed the evil practice of female genital mutilation being performed on my cousin. I still hear her screams every time I remember it. I wonder who came up with the idea of cutting women as a rite of passage. Passage to where? I wake up every day thinking about ways to put an end to female genital mutilation in my community and the world around me. I do mentorships along the border of Kenya and Uganda and I've worked on a lot of cases. My name is Domtila Chesang, a women's rights activist. I live in Maktano town of Kapenguria in West Pokot, Kenya. I am lending my voice, time, and energy to putting an end to gender-based violence, female genital mutilation, and child marriage in my community, and ensuring that girls and women are empowered to live a healthy, normal lives. Talking about female genital mutilation, it is so deeply rooted in West Pokot, Kenya, just as it is in some other um, African countries. We need to break this FGM thing down properly. So we're going to be speaking with an expert who has decades of experience, and she's also a mother, Mrs. Hanatu Dong. Hanatu is a midwife with about four decades of experience with a specialty in reproductive health. She will be dissecting this whole thing for us so that we can get a deeper insight into what many young innocent girls at West Pocket Community go through. That will come up later in the course of this podcast. We're looking at border communities in Africa, right? And on this episode, we are beaming our spotlight on West Pocot in Kenya. My name is Bumi. My name is Uju. Let's look at a bit of background on West Pocot County. West Pokot is a northwest border county in Kenya, which houses about 700,000 people. It is the town that connects the country to Uganda. It covers approximately 9,169.4 square kilometers from north to south and stretches over 132 kilometers. West Pokot's economy is mainly driven by agriculture and rearing of livestock, such as cattle, sheep, and goats. But sadly, even though the practice is illegal and has been criminalized in Kenya, female genital mutilation is still being practiced in the West Pokot community. Now, according to Domtila, who you heard from earlier, uh, she's an advocate and warrior against FGM. It is carried out and celebrated as a rite of passage meant to usher young girls into adulthood. Yes. And in West Pocot, girls from about 12 years and above, they say, okay, they're passing from childhood to adulthood. People just see the celebrations and all of that. They, sometimes they don't even know. I mean, like those who are just observing from outside, yes. onlookers, they don't really know what goes on, what those girls go through, what the whole process is all about. So ask yourself, what exactly are they celebrating? Now, where is the person passing to? So this may seem a little far-fetched for many to imagine, but let's hear from Dom Tila, who has been in the heat of this. I was, uh, before that, looking for the time I would be cut myself. Because as a young girl, you're only shown the beauty, the, uh, the celebrations, the dancing, the singing. But it was only until this time that I realized there was more 
to FGM than what the public knows. So my mom uh, uh, did not give me any satisfactory answer, so I had to escape. I had to uh, devise a plan for me to be able to run away from home because I knew that at 11 years old my time was fast approaching because FGM in my community happens to girls at puberty. So I was fast approaching that stage where I knew I would be next. So the World Health Organization has done extensive research because this is a very touchy issue. Very. It's not just a regional or national issue. It's a global issue. And I'll tell you why it's a global issue. Uh, of course, this comes under gender-based violence. True. Um, it violates the right of a child. A child, yes. You know, and most times, which we will still talk about, when this is done, after this, they now go into the face of marrying this child off. So, child bride comes in, and then you now start talking about other attending issues. You now have a child who eventually takes in, has to give birth. Then you start talking about, of course, which would allow, you know, the health experts later on the show to talk about this, right? You start talking about VVF. A side effect of, you know, a child carrying a pregnancy or trying to give birth. Exactly. So there are lots of issues around this. There is also, we're not going to dwell too much on it, but yeah. you should know. There's also the issue of, because it, they are trying to modernize it, mm-hmm. and for risk of infections, mm-hmm. there's now the medical part of it. Medicalization of FGM, where you have the young girls, they check into the hospital, mm-hmm. and then the process is conducted. In a hygiene environment, but you are still mutilating the child. A lot of research has been done on FGM and it has been discovered that there are no known benefits to the practice. Rather, it is widely recognized as a threat to women's rights and considered non-humane. It is pretty much a tale of woes, you know. To be honest, um, having met with um, a survivor uh, in January Mm -hmm. uh, when I went for studies, she was so badly mutilated, she literally almost doesn't have a female um, genital at all. That's how badly uh, mutilated she was. And she has, you know, been talking about it very extensively. That's literally literally her life's work because some of the things that are the aftermath of it is severe pain. Now, this is a situation where there's no anesthetic, there's nothing. Sometimes rusty blades and rusty knives are used to perform... Uh, this mutilation. So there's severe pain, there's excessive bleeding in some cases, there are infections, high risk of infections. There's also urinary problems for the victims. There's shock and even death, like I said, in some cases. These are some of the resultant issues that ensue. So I know that from an informed point of view, Hanato is going to expose the risks even much, much more. We're hoping that listening to Hanatu would help enlighten, bring information, yeah. and help people make better decisions. That's the essence of the conversation today. WHO says that more than 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone female genital mutilation in 30 countries in Africa. Remember we mentioned that is really predominant in Africa. In Africa, yes. The Middle East hmm. and Asia. So it's not just an African thing, thing but it's yes. really predominant in, in Africa. Africa. And they talk about the fact that oh, it makes uh, sexual intercourse more 
pleasurable they talk about the fact that it also helps curb promiscuity but if you look at it you know with a magnifying lens you see that uh, it's a way of subduing the woman if you ask me it's a way of subduing the woman i completely agree trampling on her rights I agree. so also in kenya over four million girls have undergone fgm Overall, over 21% of girls and women, I'll say that again, overall, over 21% of girls and women aged 15 to 49 have been subjected to the practice. And nearly all people in Kenya right now, because of course there's been a lot of advocacy, Mm -hmm. uh, people are getting to understand the issues, thankfully. So a lot of people in Kenya I mean, especially those who are enlightened, think FGM should stop. Though, opposition is most common among ethnic groups that do not practice it. So, we'll be right back after this break to speak with Mrs. Hannah to Dong. She'll provide more insights on this issue of FGM. Still to come on the Africa Borderland Center podcasts. Our community is known to be uh, one of those tribes that practice the most severe type of FGM. It sums it, it is done. Uh, it reduces promiscuity. I, I, I don't think so. Because we have girls that are into prostitution and they had female genital mutilation done for them. When these girls are caught between ages 12 and 13, they are usually married out. And a bride price, sadly, sadly, mm. that mostly consists of goats, cows, camels, things like that are paid to the family. The Africa Borderlands Center Podcast. Welcome back to the Africa Borderlands Center Podcast. We have been looking at West Pokot, a border town in Kenya that connects it to Uganda, where female genital mutilation is still a common practice in some communities there. Again, my name is Bumi. And my name is Uju. Thank you for joining us. So let's hear from uh, Mrs. Dong, who is a reproductive health expert on FGM. Okay, what is female genital mutilation? Thank you very much. Uh, Female genital mutilation, um, as it is, refers to the partial or total removal of the female external genitals. Or it could also be injuries to the female genital organs for other reasons uh, other than medical uh, reasons. How many kinds are there? In fact, um, there are four different types of female genital mutilations as um, uh, described by WHO. And so um, we have uh, the type 1, which is also known as clitoridectomy, refers to the removal of the clitoris, okay. either partial or total removal of the clitoris, and so uh, that is type one. So um, in that uh, case, they remove the skin, that's the skin full of the clitoris, and sometimes includes what we call the prepuce, that is the area that's close to the clitoris. So that is what is. I mean, or that surrounds the clitoris. So that is what is uh, the type, the one that is called type 1. Then we have type 2. Type 2 is referred to as excision. Excision. And um, this involves partial or total removal of the clitoris and the labia minora. You know, the um, 
external uh, genital organs of the uh, woman okay. or of the female yeah. um, has uh, the clitoris then it has two folds there's an inner thinner fold which is medically referred to as labia minora oh, and okay. then there's a an outer fold that is uh, thicker uh, that is called labia majora okay. so in this uh, type now type 2 uh, so the clitoris is either removed partially or totally and at the same time uh, including the prepuce and the labia minora so that is type 2 then we now talk about type 3 the type 3 is known as infibrillation or pharionic circumcision. So in this type, uh, this is uh, considered the very severe type. This is where both the clitoris, the prepuce, the libia minora, the libia majora are caught. So by the time you remove the clitoris, we know that the clitoris uh, um, is the one that uh, is the most sensitive uh, part as far as sexual intercourse is concerned. But when, this, when that skin is removed, you know you have reduced that sexual pleasure for that woman. Apart from that, when you now remove the libia minora, which closes to protect the inner structures. And by the time you now again remove the libia majora, the libia majora, you can see that is a skin fold that has a, uh, adipose tissue. And there's a reason for everything, cushioning, uh, protection, and the rest. But when it is removed, what do you expect? The, there's an exposure. So the, the area is prone to even tears easily. So not to even talk about the implications, the health implications, easily prone to infection, HIV, uh, sexually transmitted infections, HIV, and... Um, you also uh, it tears easily a childbirth and besides pains during sex so besides reduction in uh, sexual pleasure there is pain in fact you can't even have sexual pleasure when there is pain so these are some of the implications that uh, accompany females uh, genital mutilation then we now have the type 4 4 is all categories put together all these things that I've said, the clitoris, yeah. the prepuce, the libia minora, the libia majora are removed. And besides removing them, again, they, they do it to reduce the size of the vagina, to make the opening smaller and only remain the opening where urine will come out and menstruation will come out. So that is mm. the, fourth, the fourth time. So, um, and of course, you know, that one, they have reduced the vaginal uh, opening, so they've made it tidier. So during sexual intercourse, the woman will pass through pains. If care is not taken, in fact, not even if care is not taken, tears. Because the man will want to penetrate her. So if he has to force it to get in, definitely it's, she will sustain uh, bruises or tears. And of course, that will lead to bleeding. So like um, part of well, some of the health implications are bleeding. That woman may bleed. 
she may bleed and if care is not taken uh, bleed in such a way that uh, may affect her and even lead to death so and then of course you know that um, people who do f- uh, female genital mutilation um force a concession uh, that is usually done from infancy to adolescent age so it, from infancy that's why you see we've seen newborn babies delivered even when they they have not thought of piercing the ears of that newborn baby mm-hmm. they've already gone to do circumcision and the person doing it the skills might of that person also the person is all that skillful not even even if no matter how skillful you act those area parts of the body of the woman are not meant to be caught thank you very much mrs dong uh, we'd like to crave your indulgence for a few minutes let's listen to domtila tell us about the kind of fgm that is practiced in her community in particular our community is known to be uh, one of those tribes that practice the most severe type of fgm uh, which is also called infibulation or if you like it type 3 of fgm uh, uh, the whole procedure entails uh, two stages there's a first stage which is done in public and there's also a second stage which is done in a more private space uh, the first stage is a very brief uh, procedure which is mostly the cutting of the clitoris or demonstration of that and the second stage uh, happens immediately after the first stage and this happens in a nearby bush or a, a, a bit of a private space where only women who have undergone FGM are allowed to take part in that procedure, procedure or in that space. Uh, this is now where the actual mutilation happens, the cutting of all the labia, uh, where every screams and everything that uh, happens um, is not known by the members of the public, only the women who have undergone FGM. Uh, Mrs. Hanato, would like to know, are there any benefits of female genital mutilation? There is no known health benefit. There is none um, at all. What for? Okay. Some say not a health benefit. Anyway, maybe social benefit. Some say it is done. Uh, it reduces promiscuity. I, I I don't think so because we have girls that are into prostitution and they had female genital mutilation done for them. It did not make them. Uh, change their minds from being and that is why we from the health point of view talk strictly uh, to let people understand that it shouldn't be done and it's labeled as a harmful practice now i know you've mentioned the issue of bleeding severally you've mentioned the issue of uh, complications in childbirth are there other health or psychological uh, disadvantages that you can mention? Some that you've seen from your, uh, you know, over 30 years of practice. Okay. Um, so, indeed, um, the woman who has had f- uh, this mutilation, um, she ends up psychological trauma. Mm. So, what? Do, just look at it. I am a woman and I've had uh, genital mutilation and each time I need to have sex with my husband I have pains I will not want to each time he approaches me there is that fear of that pain and that's a psychological trauma I will not be running away from my besides that I I think I told you that um, part of the health benefit is that during childbearing it affects childbirth okay you mean health downside yeah yeah so um 
when she's about when i mean during delivery yeah a woman who has had female genital mutilation stand a greater chance or chances of uh, sustaining tears hmm. more than someone more than somebody who has not because the skin is no longer there it has been removed hmm. and so what the tissues that are there are light and can easily tear and um, such uh, tears can be very extensive particularly those who had type 4 so that one is the worst isn't it so uh, these are some of the things that um, the woman ends up with so psychologically definitely if because during a delivery I tear each time I go for delivery I tear and the reason is because I had genital mutilation I will fear going into labor next time I will fear wanting to become pregnant to give birth I will fear the act of sex itself and besides that you know she can during the from these tears she can have uh, what we call a viscovaginal fistula from it and begin to lick urine it still bows down to psychological trauma thank you very much mrs hanato dong for that expose Since it has been established that there are no known health benefits to female genital mutilation, why does this inhumane practice continue in West Pocot? Now, that's that's a big question. You've heard Dom Tila say it. I mean, if she didn't say it, we'll probably think, oh, this has been, this is gone with the wind. Mm. But those who have gone through this know that they've gone through it. Yes. Uh, they will probably live with the uh, aftermath for life. Oh, for the rest of their lives. For yes. the rest of their lives. Sure. Because some people decided to do certain things, certain inhumane things to them right all in the name of rite of passage the way forward now is advocacy 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 and it's not just about you know making it sound like we're announcing for a party or something but it is what it is the level of success you know that has been experienced globally but I'm narrowing it down to Africa. In this mm-hmm. case, Kenya, West Pokot, whatever country. But our focus, of course, is West Pokot. Has been a lot of advocacy. Now, advocacy up to the grassroots. Because this is where you get a lot of it happening. We recall that there have been a lot of success. So, since 2011, just so you know, there has been legislation in place that criminalizes female genital mutilation. And, of course, a revised policy in 2019 in line with the Sustainable Development Goal, that's SDG Target 5.3, and that's for the eradication of FGM. Plus, they hope to totally, when I say they, I'm talking about Kenya as a country, they hope to totally obliterate it by 2030. So, in order to achieve this, there should be more advocacy at the grassroots in order to ensure there is no hiding place for secret perpetrators of the practice. 
I really hope that we get to that point where if you commit this crime against the girl or um, womanhood, I hope that we get to that place where perpetrators will be brought to justice and there will literally be no hiding place for them. Because you know how traditions are. Some people are so intent on keeping these traditions, whether it's beneficial or not, yeah, simply because so. it's familiar yeah. to them. That's all that they know. I mean, Dom Taylor said it has been totally eradicated in her hometown of uh, Kamatira sublocation. But the entire county is not yet safe for these girls as FGM and other forms of gender-based violence still take place within the West Pocot County. I'd say the way forward would be to take the campaign further into the community with community dialogues involving clergy men and women as well as traditional leaders to be made as, you know, champions to put an end to the terrible customs. You know how we are in Africa. We love our leaders. We we honor our leaders. So word coming from our leaders would make a lot of difference, not True. only in West Pocot County, but also across the continent. Let, let me also ride on the back of that's the traditional rulers yes. angle that these traditional rulers are well suited i mean well suited to even come up with alternative rites of passage some people probably haven't thought about it mm-hmm. you know there's nothing wrong with tradition especially if it's for the benefit of man mm-hmm. and if you think about it really 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 before something can be etched into the lifestyle of a people it's human beings that must have come up with it definitely for whatever reason mm-hmm. the reasons may have been good Again, for this, they often say, oh, it makes sex, uh, sexual intercourse more pleasurable. It curbs promiscuity. Although, and medically, all it's of those have been proven. negated. It's yeah. not proven. But that was what they knew. That was what they knew. But now that we now know better, one would expect that these traditional rulers, they are well suited to even come up with alternative rites of passage to womanhood for these young girls. Sure. I mean, there are, there are communities in the same West Pocot where the traditional rulers are the ones advocating mm-hmm. that this should end. That's how it is. They, they can come up with other customs and tradition. You know, maybe even say uh, as an alternative for children who are from probably poor homes, instead of this kind of so-called rite of passage, yes. they could be empowered Right. Yeah, they could be empowered with skills. Mm-hmm. Do you get? Mm-hmm. Because yes, age twelve, age thirteen, are not. You know, they are still children. Yes. they should be catered to. But these children could be empowered with skills that would work for them when they eventually become adults. Yeah. That way, they can help their families. That way, they are beneficial to the society. You know, as opposed to scarring them for life. So remember, when these girls are caught between ages twelve and thirteen, they are usually married out. And a bright price, sadly, sadly, mm. that mostly consists of goats, cows, camels, things like that, are paid to the family. Yes. So this is tied to the economy of the family mm-hmm. as well. For someone listening, you'll be like, wow, that's really sad. For those coming from a poor background, they'll say, oh, yes, it's our meal ticket. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I believe if prominent men and boys within the community, which we've seen in some communities in Kenya, if they rise up within the community, they can be get involved in ending the process. It'll make a great deal of impact. Definitely will. I mean, if one of the reasons that's been postulated as um, why female genital mutilation still goes on in West Pocot uh, County, just as uh, some other parts of Africa, if one of the reasons is pleasurable sexual experience, the men can get up to say, no, actually, it doesn't work that way. Let's be honest with ourselves. It's the reverse. 
they could also get up to say, oh no, we don't want our son's wife's cut. That could be a point or an area they could harp on to drive home the point. So you've also mentioned traditional rulers, yeah. you've mentioned uh, clergymen, and if men and boys jump into the advocacy to make a world of impact, I really believe that it would. We can only hope for the best, and of course, keep tabs on these issues, and uh, you know, keep cheering people like Don Tiller on, yes. who are taking the driver's seat to ensure that female genital mutilation truly ends even before the year 2030 which you know the government of kenya has actually said they want to stamp it out and we also hope that more people will be inspired by her actions to rise up in their various counties and communities to speak up and not just speak up but also take action against female genital mutilation okay so uh that's where we're going to wrap it up for today right thank you so much for keeping the date with us next time on the africa borderlands center would be at nakonde in zambia and we'll be looking at innovation cross-border trading how people are making a living how people are making a difference and the likes i look forward to going to nakonde hope that you would keep a date with us as we make that journey together my name is uju all right thank you for joining us my name is bumi catch you on the next one Borderlands Center podcast is brought to you by the United Nations Development Program, UNDP, Africa Borderlands Center.